Yuna. Thank you for sharing with us. <clears throat> next week, uh, we, we won't have a testimony. Uh, for those of you who came in late, next week we'll be uh, watching some of the children of our uh, church who went through uh, this Awana program. They're going to come and they're going to do a, a presentation for us. So uh, please uh, be prepared to be inspired and to be humbled by their uh, knowledge of God's word. Um, after our worship service today, uh, in addition to all that's, that's going on, um, there will be um, rice cakes. You know, sometimes you walk out in the hallway and there's food and stuff, and you're like, oh, is this edible? Is this like, can I eat this? Um, there are rice cakes provided by uh, one of our Korean congregation's uh, families. They have a, a baby boy who just turned 100 days old, so in honor of that, there will be rice cake for you to enjoy. So please, <laughs> uh, don't be shy with that. Uh, 1916, 1916, you may have heard of this lady. Uh, this lady died, her name was Hetty Green. Hetty Green died in 1916 in New York City in the home of her crippled son. And when she died, it, it, her life was actually a pretty remarkable story. She was one of the most miserly, stingy, uh, you could say selfish women that you could ever consider. She would go to the grocery store and she would only buy broken cookies because they were cheaper. She'd never buy whole round cookies, only the broken ones because the store sold them for cheaper. She only wore one black dress. Everywhere she went, she wore this black dress. And when it would get cleaned, she asked that it would only be cleaned at the hem because that's the only place that got dirty, right? Just to save money on soap. She only wore one pair of undergarments, and she would wear them until they wore out. She would eat her oatmeal cold all the time because she did not want to heat it up because it would cost money. Her home that she lived in, or her apartment, her little dingy place, uh, didn't have a heater. Sometimes she would eat her oatmeal warm. And when she, what she would do is she would take it to an office building <clears throat> in New York, and she would set it on the radiator until it got warm, and she would eat it like that. She worked, but she would never pay for an office. All of her stuff was always in a suitcase, and she would just kind of hang out in the lobby of banks or office buildings. And then she would do her work there, put all of her stuff in her suitcase, and wheel it back to the place where she lived. This is uh, the way that she lived. Her son, crippled son, in whom's apartment, in whom her, her apartment or home, I forget which it was, she died in. How did he get crippled? When he was little, he had an accident. And because she did not want to take him to the hospital, she took him to a free clinic where they could not properly diagnose and fix it. And so his leg never healed and eventually it needed to be amputated. So in 1916, Hetty Green, this poor old lady, died in the home of her crippled son. But what <clears throat> we may not know that everybody knew in that time was that when she died, she left behind an estate valued at anywhere from two to four billion dollars in today's money. The question that people ask is why when she had that much money, when she was that rich, did she live like such a poor person. Why, when she had all of that, did she settle for cold oatmeal and an amputated leg for the son that she said that she loved? When I think of Hetty Green, I think of her death, I think of her life, I can't help but think of us as children of God. That we have been given and we have been promised so much a joy that is unspeakable, a love that is unconditional, a peace that is undeniable, blessings that are unstoppable, and yet we live not like prince and princesses of the Most High God. We live like paupers and beggars and people without a father. Why? We've been looking at this kind of a question in a lot of different ways through the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, that's what Jesus talks about. He says, within the kingdom of God, you guys are different. As the people of God, you guys are different. As citizens of my kingdom, 
by virtue of faith in Jesus Christ, we have a father in heaven who is undeniably rich. And because of his riches, it causes us to live differently. That's what Jesus has been saying. And we're going to attack this head on by looking at Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 7 through 11. Very uh, famous and familiar passage where we see the father's heart. And we see what we ought to do in response to that as a child of God in order to receive that which is promised to us. Uh, Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. This is God's word. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Verse 12 says, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So if God says anything that you want or that you pray for will be given to you, and he is exceedingly able to do that, he is able to do exceedingly and abundantly far more than we could ever ask or imagine, then why do so many of us live like Hetty Green? Why do we who should be the expression of the fullness of joy live with such anger sometimes? Why do we who should be the epitome of a love unconditional, why do we withhold love so easily? Why do we who should be marked by a peace that the world could never know, could never give, could never take, do we live in such frustration and anxiety? Three things that we're going to look at here. The first thing, you don't have because you don't ask. And you can write ask in all capital letters with a dot in between each letter. You don't have because you don't ask. Here we see Jesus inviting us, inviting his kingdom citizens, children of God, right? He's not talking to people out on the streets. He's talking to those who say that we are followers of Jesus Christ. He's talking to us about prayer. I I, I talk to people and I hear from people who say, you know what? In my discipleship journey, I'm really good. I love worship. I'm, I'm okay at reading the word of God, but I'm just really bad at praying. Are you like that? Hey, reading the word, no problem. You know, I can read. Uh, worship is cool. You know, coming to the house of the Lord, I love singing. You know, everybody loves music these days, but I have a really hard time praying. Is that you? Does that sound like you? Jesus tries to talk to people like that. Not just people like that, but the people in general who are his people. And he calls us and he pleads with us with the heart of his father inviting us into this place of prayer, right? Three times he says, ask, seek, knock. And then three times he's inviting us into prayer. In case you lose that first invitation, let me give you a second invitation. And in case you still don't get that one, let me give you three invitations to come and to pray. Three commands, ask, you'll be given, right? Seek, you'll find, knock, the door's gonna be open to you. And then he makes it clear that he's talking about in the context of prayer. But the invitation that Jesus gives is not predicated primarily upon a command. You know, if, if our Lord, if our God tells us to do something, hey, be nice to someone, love someone, forgive someone, just because he commanded it, we ought to do it, right? It's simple. That's what it means to have a Lord, to have a master, to have a king, to have a God. But Jesus' primary motivation here is not simply in saying, do it because I said to do it. He primarily motivates and inspires us to obedience through a promise, right? Three times he commands us, but six times he talks about what will happen as a result of that promise, as a result of your obedience. He says, it will be given, that you will receive, you will find, and the door will be open. And then he repeats that twice. Jesus is giving every possible ammunition through which he can call us to this place of prayer. He says, listen, if you can't, not everyone can read the Bible. Right? If you're a baby, you can't read the Bible. If you're, if you're illiterate, you cannot read the Bible. 
but everyone can pray. Your two-year-old child can pray. Your 99-year-old great-grandmother can pray. Anybody can pray. It is the simplest thing. It is the simplest thing, and yet it is the most powerful thing in terms of changing a heart, in terms of changing the world, in terms of growing in your intimacy with God. You will never meet someone who is intimate with God, who does not have a vibrant and active prayer life. Jesus is saying, you are as intimate with God as you want to be. It's all up to you and how much you desire to pray. That's it. No question. There's nothing else to it. Because if you want to be close, you want to be intimate with God, then it happens in that place of prayer. We could end now and we can go do it, but then he continues on and he gives three ways, three examples of what it means, three levels of intensity, if you will, of how we ought to pray. He says, ask and it will be given to you. It's very simple. He says, you know, asking, is anybody can do that. It's the posture of humility, the posture of an inferior to a superior. When you need something, you go and you ask. I have often illustrated this in, in, in this way. Uh, it was probably about 12, 13 years ago here. Uh, one of our church members was, uh, had, an, uh, had appendicitis, had an appendectomy, and was uh, resting in the hospital. And so a couple of us went to the hospital to go visit him. And as we were visiting him, this was back in the day. So in those days, I don't know if anyone is a, is a nurse or a doctor, but in those days, hospital scrubs were given out to the doctors and the medics and the nurses by the hospital. You couldn't go to a store and buy them. If you did, they cost lots and lots of money. And so it was very rare for you to be able to have scrubs, but even more so if you were not in the, in the medical industry. And so I remember there was this nurse walking around, and he had these scrubs on. And so I said, hey, his name was Rico. I said, hey, Rico, can you get me a pair of scrubs? And he looked at me and he says, are you kidding me? It's hard enough for us who work here to get scrubs, let alone anyone else. And then he walked away. I was like, all right, cool. That's fine. You know, I thought I'd ask. So we're hanging out there and we're talking with the, with the, with the dude who's uh, recovering. We, we sang some songs and then just kind of shooting the breeze. And then an hour or so later, Rico walks by and he's like, hey, come here. So I walked over. And he put something in my hand. It's a, it's a pack of scrubs, top and bottom. And he's like, here. And he says, if anyone asks you, you didn't get them from me. And then he walks away. And I was like, dude, my own scrubs. It says Florida Hospital. And it's like so cool. And I took these around. And I remember one time I wore them to, to church for a youth meeting or something. And people are like, ooh, where'd you get those? It's a Florida Hospital. I said, how did you get those? How did I get those? The answer is simple. I asked somebody for it. This is what Jesus is saying. It's so simple. In fact, in James 4.2, Jesus' brother James says, you do not have because you do not ask God. I think some of us are really good at not asking because we have grown accustomed to thinking, you know what, I'm a 21st century independent woman. I don't need to ask for anything. I can take care of myself. Or I'm just a, I'm a problem solver. I'm a fix it. I'm Mr. Handyman repair guy. I fix problems. I don't need God. And Jesus says, so how's that working out for you when you run into issues that you can't fix on your own? When your husband can't fix, when your wife can't fix that? There's the first thing that you have to understand is if you ask, you'll receive. That's the first thing he says. The second thing, and this is all part of the first thought. Okay, so don't, don't go to your outline yet. We're still on the first one. The second thing he says here, he says, seek and you will find. You seek things that are valuable to you. If those scrubs, and if, if he didn't give me the scrubs, I wouldn't go around like looking in closets for scrubs. I wouldn't because it just didn't, wasn't a big deal to me. I wanted it. Yeah, it's cool. But I'm not going to go asking and seeking for it. Right? Seeking is a step above asking. It's asking and acting. We seek things that are valuable to us. That's why Jesus constantly gives examples of the, in the Bible where someone is seeking something, seeking a lost coin. Seeking a lost sheep. Seeking a lost son. Why does he seek those things? 
because these things are valuable, because these things are important. Something important that you need in life. Jesus says, don't just ask, seek, and you will find. I sought after checkbooks that I lost. I sought after my daughter's elephant that was lost. I've sought after contact lenses that were lost in in Belize. I've sought after journals that were lost in the Dominican Republic. I seek after things that are valuable in my life. Jesus is saying, seek those things in prayer. Those things that you need that are valuable to you. I need a job. I need a place to live. He doesn't say just go looking for these things, trying to fix it on your own. He says, ask and act, right? Pray and seek God. It's taking prayer and taking it to the next level because his promise is, listen, if you seek, you will find. And then he goes on and he says, knock and the door will be open to you. When you knock, it has this sense where Jesus is talking of banging on the door. You're banging because you know somebody is there. It's like you knock on the door, Elsa, (laughs) I know you're in there. You're knocking and there's a persistence to it. There's a sense of I'm not going to just walk away. I'm not going to give up. This happens in our home a lot because as Manny, our oldest daughter, was growing up, she had a lot of friends because there just happened to be uh, a lot of children, girls born at that time. And so kids would come over and they'll play with her. And and usually they're pretty good about playing with uh, Manny's little brother, Elijah. But there will be times where they just want to do some estrogenetic things without the boys. And so they go into Manny's room. And they say, guys, let's go. Let's go into Manny's room. And so they go into the room. And before Elijah knows it, he looks up and the girls are gone. His people that he's playing with are gone. And he starts getting upset and he starts running with his little feet and he runs to Manny's room and he realizes that the door is closed. And so what does he do? He starts knocking on the door and the girls ignore him. Like, shh, pretend we're not in here. And so Elijah's knocking and he's knocking and he's knocking and he's knocking and he's crying and he's kicking and he's screaming and he's rapping on the door. There's a persistence to it until finally they open the door and say, okay, Elijah, you can come in. And he plays with them. Why? Because he understands. When you want something that badly, you will persist in it until the door is open to you. Jesus is saying, listen, this is, what it, this is what I'm asking you to do when it comes to praying. Why? Because if you knock, then the door is going to be open to you. So this is what he's talking about. When you say A-S-K, ask, seek, and knock, you don't have because a lot of times we don't have just because we don't pray. And we get frustrated and we live like paupers instead of like royalty because we don't ask God for the things that we're looking for, needing, the doors that we need to be open to us. There's another sense, though, in which Jesus talks about asking and seeking and knocking. You can ask somebody for something when they're near you, when you see them, I can ask Joey, I can ask, I can ask anybody for anything here because I see you. But when I seek after you, it's because I can't, I don't know where you are. I don't see you. When I knock, I'm knocking because I feel like there's a barrier. What is Jesus saying? In addition to all of the things that we've talked about, whatever your perception of God in this present moment is, whether you see him clearly, whether he seems veiled, whether it seems like he's hiding, whether you cannot see him, whether you feel like there's a barrier between you and God, Jesus is saying, pray. Whatever your situation, pray. And he asks us three times to pray, and he says six times. Here's what's going to happen. Your prayers are going to be answered. Now, there's a problem here because I know every single one of us have prayed a prayer that hasn't been answered. We have asked and we've not received. We've knocked or we've sought. We haven't received. We've knocked and the door hasn't been opened to us. And we're like, what is the deal with that? Uh, that's the second thing that we see here. The other reason why, okay, okay now you can move on to the second thought in your outline. Not only do we not have because we don't ask, but you don't have because you don't push. Okay, you can go ahead and write push with a dot between each letter also. I think you've, some of you have heard this before. But what does this mean? How many times have I prayed and not gotten the answer that I needed? 
have I asked, sought, knocked, and these things have not been given to me? What Jesus is saying, if, okay, if there's a promise, and the person that promised is trustworthy, then maybe we need to revisit the terms of the promise. In other words, maybe the problem is not with the premise, and it's not with the promise. Maybe the issue is with the petitioner. <laughs> and he calls us back. Maybe it's not God. Maybe it's not God's fault. Maybe we're not understanding. If someone promised, would you not continue to press in until that promise was given to you? That's what Jesus is saying. When he says, ask, seek, and knock, um, you can ask our seminarians who took Greek to parse this out for you. Jesus is not saying, <coughs> ask one time, and it'll be given to you. Seek one time, and you'll find. Knock one time, and the door will be open to you. Okay? Jesus is saying it's a continual present tense. <coughs> In other words, here's how it can better be translated. Ask and ask and ask and keep on asking and it will be given to you. Seek and seek and seek and keep on seeking <coughs> and you will find. Knock and knock and keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. This is what Jesus says. You can take my word for it. You can ask your Greek scholars about it, but this is what it says in its literal language. But I think at a deeper level, at a practical level, you understand what this means. You understand what this means that if you're in high school or you're in middle school and your dad or your mom says, listen, if you get into such and such college or if you get straight A's, you get such and such grade, if you get that, then I promise you I'm going to give you $100. Right? They make that promise to you. You get your report card. Lo and behold, you get the grades. You get that acceptance letter. You show it to your dad, and he's like, oh, my gosh, you did it. Congratulations. And you say to him, you promised that you would give me $100. He says, you're right. You're right. I promised you. Do you ask one time and you stop asking? Or do you keep on reminding? Do you keep on asking until that promise is given? If you know that he's trustworthy, one, and two, that he's able to give that to you. Do you not continue to go and continue to ask until that which is promised is received? If someone says to you, within this room, okay, yesterday I went and I hid a $1,000 bill under one chair or in some place in this room. I promise you it's here. Seek it and you will find it. Do you look for it and, 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 oh, you know what? I haven't found it after an hour. That's it. I'm done. You don't do that. If you know that the one who promised is faithful and you know that it is there, you will seek, won't you, until you find it. Someone says to you, hey, um, I've got, uh, or, hey, I've got something that I need to deliver to you. And it's really, really nice. It's really, really a... Uh, yeah, I've got to give you something. You're going to be home tomorrow? Yeah, yeah, I've got nothing going on. I'm going to be home all day. Be home all day. That person goes to your house. He knows that you're home because he's been tracking you on location service or whatever. He knows that you're home. And he knocks on your door, and he knows you're there. And he really wants to give something to you. He does not knock one time and leave. He will knock and he will knock because he knows that you're there. He will knock until the door is opened in order that the purpose for his visit could be accomplished. See, we know this intuitively, and Jesus is calling us to task when it comes to the call to pray. He says the reason why a lot of us don't have what is promised is because we give up. It's like what some of y'all used to do when you were bored at home. Because you didn't have internet growing up. This is what some of our older people did. I think I've heard. I assume you would go to a hotel or you'd go to someone's house. You'd go to someone's neighborhood. You would ring the doorbell. You would knock on the door. And then you would run. And, you, <laughs> and then you would laugh. And they would open the door and they would say, oh, nobody's there. We do this a lot of times when it comes to knocking on the door of heaven. We knock on the door and then we run before the answer can be given to us. 
Jesus is saying, what if instead of doing that, we prayed and we pushed? We prayed until something happened. This is what Jesus is saying. This is what my friend said. One of my friend's translations said, taking this Greek into consideration, he says, keep on asking then until you have received. Keep on seeking until you have found. And keep on knocking until the door is open to you. Because if the promise is if you keep on asking, you will receive, then the command can be understood as keep on asking until you receive. Pray until something happens. I think the, the way it is with some of us, I remember talking with a, a youth student somewhat recently, and he says, you know what, um, I, I, I don't know if I can trust God anymore. I said, why not? He said, I've been praying for my family, been praying for something, been praying every night, and God hasn't changed things in my family. So I asked this 10th grader, I said, how long have you been praying? He said, it's, it's been a week already. So my response was, keep on praying. Keep on praying. Keep on praying until something happens. Keep on praying. I think sometimes that's what we do. Instead of praying until something happens, what do we pray until? We pray until we think it's not the will of God. We pray until my faith grows weak. We pray until I get tired of praying. We pray until my friend says, let's go watch a movie. But Jesus says, hey, pray until something happens. We don't have because we don't push. Think about a pregnant lady. Pregnant lady, you know something's in there, right? What do they, what do they say? Unless you're having a C-section, right? You got to push that baby out of you. Doctor says, push. She pushes. Doesn't come out. What does she do? Honey, let's go home. It's not going to come out. She pushes until something happens. What's that something that thing that she's pregnant with comes out and god is saying listen we are pregnant with answers to prayer but we push one time but we don't pray until something happens so often we give up far too easily in praying for our character and praying for the salvation of our friends and praying for lives to be changed whatever it is we pray But then we're content to say, you know what? Maybe it wasn't in the cards. Maybe God doesn't want me to overcome sin. Maybe God doesn't want me to be more patient. Maybe God doesn't want me to not be angry anymore. Maybe that's just the thorn in my flesh that I got to deal with. No, 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 no. Just pray until something happens. Continue to pray. Continue to ask. Continue to seek. Continue to knock until these things are given to you. Just don't give up. There's this uh, parable of this man who had a dream that he went to heaven before his time. And as he went into heaven, the tour guide of heaven said, okay, listen, there's all these these, these houses which belong to the saints. And there was this big old warehouse. And the guy said, what's in that warehouse? And the guide said, you can take a look at it. And so he went into the warehouse and he said, immediately there was a divide, A through K and L through Z. And he went and he followed his name. And he said, can I look in these rooms? He said, yeah, only in your room though. And he went and he tracked down the, the, the room that corresponded to his letter and his name. And he went, and he said, can I open up that door? And he said, go for it. I, 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 you may be disappointed, but go for it. So he opened the door and he walks in. And he begins uncovering these covered up statues of things. And, and at first he didn't understand, why are these associated with my name? And then he began to realize that this room contained broken dreams and unfulfilled wishes and longings that were never materialized. And he began to ask the tour guide, what are all of these things? Why are they in here? And he began to realize these are prayers that God was going to answer that was in the warehouse ready to be delivered. But he stopped praying for them before they were delivered to him. This is fanciful, and it's not a biblical illustration, but what if we took the word of God to heart and we really prayed until something happened? What might our warehouse room look like? 
What if these things are right on the cusp of delivery? Next day air. If we would just pray a little bit more. This is a promise of God. He doesn't say ask and you might receive. Ask and you could receive. Ask and you should receive. He says ask and you will receive. This is a promise that God gives to us. Hey, ask and it's a done deal. He's just waiting in the warehouse of heaven. I read about a missionary named Bob and Amber. They were in Indonesia and they uh, were on home assignment one time. And in, for the past uh, 40 years of missionary service in Indonesia, they wrote down very specific prayers for their church. And over the course of 40 years, they prayed 50 very specific things. Uh, power in our pastor's preaching, more workers for the children's ministry, more funding for these different things, more missionaries to be sent out. And after 40 years, this missionary, Bob and Amber, went to their pastor and said, Hey, uh, for the past 40 years, we've been recording these prayers. We did it mainly because we got bored with our prayer life. We would pray about all these things, and, and we wouldn't ever hear about the answers to them. And so we wanted to see. And so one by one, they went on these 50 prayer requests. And he said, as they prayed, as they talked about the 50, he said 90% of them, 90% of them were answered yes. 2% were answered no. And 8%, as the pastor went through the list, said, not yet, answered. What would it look like if we were willing to persist in prayer and to pray until something happens in our lives, in our family, in our church, in our world? Okay, last thing. Last thing, our Father will give us whatever we ask for, or he'll give us something better. He'll give us whatever we ask for, or he'll give us something better. Uh, starting in verse 9, which of you, son, asks for bread, give him a stone. If he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. This is supposed to be funny. Right? People who are listening to it are like, ha, 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 Jesus, that's so funny. None of us would do that. None of us would do that. And then he comes back and he says, you're evil. Y'all are evil, sinful. But you wouldn't do that, would you? How much more does your Father in Heaven want to give good gifts to His children? You're like, ooh, dang, argument from lesser to greater, right? Evil people know how to do that. How much more your Father in Heaven? Does it, may we stop and think, like, why would God care about the prayers Charlie Lee. Why in the world would God care about Carlos Gomez's prayers? Why would he care about Keishla Andor's prayers? Why would he care about our prayers? I mean, think about this. Who are we? Like this little tiny little dot on the universe globe, this tiny little thing. Why does he care? Is this like blow your mind away that heaven gives you a blank and open check says, whatever you ask for, whatever you're seeking, whatever door you're knocking on, go for it. Why? He's been talking about this. Like before the Sermon on the Mount, this language that Jesus uses was foreign to the ears of people in those days. Not just Jewish people, but all people. That your deity can be your father who loves you and cares for you. They would use this word, a father, not in an intimate sense, but in the sense of the ruler, right? The universal father, the creator, winds up the world and lets it go. But nobody who is intimately involved in your individual life, that he cares about the things that you pray for. Why? Jesus says, because it would not happen until I came, but because I came, he becomes your father in heaven. Regardless of what your idea, understanding, conception of father is in this world, in this life. Jesus is saying you have a father that trumps all. I shouldn't use that word. But a father that is far greater than any other father that this world could imagine. That God is the perfect and quintessential father that every father wants to learn from. And you have a father 
and he wants to give good gifts. He says, listen, you ask for, uh, what, which of you, your son asks for bread, will give him a stone. So my Manny loves Panera, loves mac and cheese at Panera, right? that fake microwave saucy soup. She loves that stuff that costs like $8 a pop, and she loves dipping her bread in it. Daddy, can we go to Panera? Can we go to Panera? No, Manny, we can't go to Panera, but pick up a few rocks. I'll toast them for you. <laughs> That's really funny. No, none of us would do that. Oh, you know what? I really want to pet goldfish. Can we go to the pet store and get a goldfish? I'll, I'll go get you a goldfish and bring it home. Surprise, here's a snake. And what kind of an evil father does that? He's scared to death of snakes. He's saying nobody would do that. Why? What is he saying? Listen, if you ask for something good, God will not give you something bad. And if you ask for something bad, he will not give you something bad. Sometimes the greatest gifts of God can be the denial of our prayers. Boy, that business opportunity that you had, that person that you prayed would be your spouse. Only a year later, you find out, holy cow, this guy is jacked up. Praise God that you didn't give me that prayer. Because here's our reality, friends. A lot of times we pray for a snake and we pray for a rock. And God is wanting to give us bread and give us fish. See, God doesn't always answer the way that we pray. He always answers the way we would have prayed had we been as wise as him. This is the gift of God. Then why do we pray? So that our hearts become changed, so that we can grow in our intimacy with God. God's desire is to give good things to his children. Elijah, our son, turned four last week, and we had a birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese. So excited, loving it. Elijah went into this ticket blaster thing, and he got no tickets, but they gave him a receipt for 1,200 tickets. You know what that means? You could buy, you could win a lot of stuff with 1,200 tickets. So, Elijah, let's go see what you can win for 1,200 tickets. We went up to the ticket redemption counter. We're looking at all of these things. There's a line of people, and other people were, were, were uh, cashing out their tickets for merchandise. And I said, Elijah, look on that shelf right there. Right, there it is, 1,000 tickets. Right, you can get Frisbees. 600 tickets, you can get a Paw Patrol glider. You can get two of those, Elijah, two of these, right? 1,500 tickets. If Manny loans you 300 tickets, uh, you can get this inflatable seat that you could sit on. Ah, Elijah, come on. What do you want? And his little eyes went to the showcase, and he's like, Daddy, I want that chocolate stick. Tootsie Roll, five tickets, five tickets. Daddy, can I have that? I was like, Elijah, you can have like 240 of those things, but look higher. I look up, you can have all of that stuff. I said, Elijah, what do you want? He's like, I want that. And then he was asking, you know, one of our, I want that, I want, that's what I want. And I said, okay, Elijah, I'll get you that with my own five tickets. But what do you want for your 1,200 tickets? Because father wants to give good gifts to his children, wants to see him happy. And he's like, oh, I don't know. And then after a while, he's like waiting for such a long time that he just walked back to where the pizza was. I said, Elijah, where are you going? So I have in my pocket a receipt for 1,200 tickets because he didn't want to cash it out. Like, Elijah, you could have had all of these top shelf things and you're so content with a five ticket Tootsie Roll. I want to give good gifts to you. And Jesus is saying, this is what your father in heaven wants to do. Lift your eyes up. I want to give you good things but you're so fixated on these simple things that you don't even need to pray in order to get. Holy cow. All this I could give you simply as a gift of grace. Because he's a father who loves us and he cares for us. See, this is where we have to exercise faith because a lot of times... In our simple faith, we think faith is praying to God for the thing I'm asking for. But when God says no to that thing, the faith that is required is to believe that what God is going to give to us is actually better for us. 
Because a lot of times we think we know what's best for ourselves. But God says, no, I want to give you that which is better. We cannot understand anything about prayer unless first our gaze is focused upon the cross of Christ. Why should I gain from his reward? Why is it that God could look at a little speck of tiny dust on the globe of life, on the globe of the universe that he created, and say, yes, whatever you ask for, you can receive? Because of Jesus. Because of Christ, who secured every blessing for you at Calvary. Because he lost his identity in that moment as a child of God, so that we could be brought into the family of God. Why can we ask so boldly, so audaciously? Because he's opened a way to the Father where before we could never have gone. Why is it that we can persist in prayer? Because we know that God is going to hear us. Because we know that God is never going to forsake us. Because we know that he's not not answering our prayer because of disfavor. Because Jesus has forever won our favor. And that when the Father looks at us, he looks at us in the perfection of Christ. Why is it that we can trust and know that his wise ways will always be accomplished? Why is it that we can trust that his timing is always good? Because he lets the prayers of his son go unanswered at the cross. Let this cup pass from me. Why? In order that a greater good could come. Not only for the world, but for the one who prayed that Jesus needed to die in order to rise again, that there had to be crucifixion in order for there to be resurrection, in order for there to be ascension. As long as we understand the work of God in his son in the gospel at the cross, it gives us faith, it engenders faith in us to be able to pray. It's all because of Jesus. He paid the price in order that we could have all of the top shelf blessings. All we need to do is ask. That's the promise of God. That's what's given to us as his children. Think about this. Hey, asking, seeking, knocking. One day I'm home in my, in, in my makeshift study, Elijah's room, and I hear outside someone saying, anyone seen this guy, D.L., I, I want him. I need him. I need to see him. And I look out the window, and it's some strange guy I've never seen before. And he's looking for me. He's asking all of these people. He's seeking. He's searching. He's looking under trees, looking for me. And then he knocks on the door of my house, and he rings a doorbell. And he's like, I heard this is your home. I'm looking for D.L. I'm looking for D.L. And finally, I open the door. He's like, will you play with me? Like, are you kidding me? Who are you? I'm not going to play with you. And I close the door, and hopefully he leaves. And if he doesn't, I call the police. What a weird story, huh? So sometimes I work out of my house. Right? And I will go into Elijah's room, sit in the rocking chair with my computer, and I'll work on my sermon, or I'll send out emails, or whatever it is I do. And I hear this little voice asking, Mommy, where's Daddy? Where's Daddy? Daddy, I want to play with Daddy. And I think, oh, I'm working. Hopefully she won't come into the room. Where's Daddy? And then I hear her little feet walking all around the house. Daddy, looking for Daddy. She's not asking anymore. She's seeking, looking in the bathroom and looking in the laundry room and looking in the room. And and then she goes back to Olivia. Where's Daddy? Daddy's in Elijah's room, but he's working. Don't bother him. Ignorant to the warnings. She walks over. I hear her feet. She's coming closer and closer as she marches along, knocking on the door. Daddy, Daddy, open open the door. Daddy, open the door. Daddy, knock, knock, knock. Daddy, Daddy. Maybe she'll go away. Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. She's not going away. Two minutes pass. Three minutes pass, trying to turn the door handle. She can't. Daddy, daddy. Finally, put the computer on the bed, open the door. It's this hair disheveled snot coming out of her nose. Beautiful Elise. Big old smile. 
Daddy, can you play with me? And of course I can. Of course I can. Nothing would make me happier. I pick her up and she says, outside, and so we go outside. Why? What's the difference between that little snot-filled thing and this dude outside? I'm her father. He's got a father. And whatever she wants, no matter how messed up, how dirty she is, my finger is wrapped around her hand. And I give her whatever she wants. You're not an orphan. You're not Hetty Green. You have a father who loves you, who cares for you, says whatever you want. I will always give you what you want, or I'll give you something better. Believe it. Trust it. Pray. My brother, my sister, you have a father who loves you. He knows you. Out of seven billion people in this world, you're not just a number. He knows you by name. He calls you by name. This privilege has been given not to just strangers, but it's been given to his children. Are you his child? Are you a child of God? If you are, let's live like it. Let's live like it. Pray until something happens. Are you not yet a child of God? Are you like that guy wandering around outside my house, looking to get in, wanting the riches of the Father, but not in relationship with Him? That's you. You can become a child of God any moment you want as you acknowledge that you are a sinner and you don't deserve it, but that Jesus stood in your place to take your judgment for you, but he also stood in your place to be perfectly holy, righteous on your behalf so that you, in making a great exchange by faith, say, Jesus, my lack for your fullness, my insufficiency for your sufficiency, I trade it all in order that I can have you. And you make that trade by faith and you say, Jesus, be my Savior, be my Lord, and you can be a child of God and have access to everything that heaven has for you. Let's pray. Let's pray for a couple moments, however you need to pray. That's just talking to God. Let's ask. Let's seek. Let's knock. Let's ask again. Let's seek again. Let's knock again if we have stopped for things that we really need. Boy, our Father wants to give. He wants to pour good things into your life. I am completely convinced of that. I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Seen it so many times. Guys, we're leaving so much in the warehouse, waiting to be delivered. Awaken the faith. Awaken the desire. Awaken the dreams again. And let's pray. Let's ask the Lord for more of him in our prayer lives. Let's pray for a minute, and I'll pray for us after that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this room is literally bursting with world-changing, kingdom-invading, nation-reviving potential. It's not just one or two or five people. It's not just mature people who can change the world in the prayer closet. It's everyone in here who bears the name of Jesus. 
Awaken us to know that prayer doesn't need a special age, doesn't need a special position, doesn't need a special place. But anybody in any moment can literally touch the heavens as we walk along the street, as we pray in a worship service, as we gather with others to pray, that every five second, 30 second, one minute prayer impacts the world. How much more so when we fight together and wrestle in prayer. Lord, our church, our world has so many people who organize, but so few who agonize. Many who pray, so so few who pray. Many who are fearful, but few who are tearful in our prayers. Many who long for air conditioning, but few who long for prayer conditioning. Lord, teach us as a church to pray. Teach us to pray. Not to simply play, not to simply stray, but Lord, really to fight and to labor and pray. Praying people change the world. Praying people will stop sinning. Praying people will push back the darkness. Praying people will bring the kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. So Lord, teach us, help us, push us, inspire us, challenge us to pray. We thank you that you are our Father in heaven who loves us, who invites us constantly, beckons us to that place. May we find the throne of God's grace, our Father's house, to not be an unfamiliar place. May we be a people whose pillows are stained with tears. May we be people whose knees are rough and grooved. May we be people whose brows are furrowed because we're fervently seeking the face of God, our Father, in prayer. Lord, teach us to pray for your glory, for our joy, for the world to come to know the beauty of our God, our Father in heaven. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.